Glenn, thank you for that prayer. Uh, it was a good reminder of how we all come together from different places for one purpose, to worship and to glorify God. And, and I, I want to thank just uh, a number of people this morning. First of all, Wayne, thank you for preaching last week. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear the sermon from last week, you can go online. I did a phenomenal job. I appreciate that. And really, I want to thank everybody that's served. Uh, many people, as I'm looking out over the, over the room, you guys have uh, many of you have served in some capacity here this morning or, or this week. There's so many moving parts, and it's not going to be perfect, right? But um, we're not flashy, but we're family. And I love that. I love that. And so it is good to be here with you to worship this morning. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We're continuing to walk through the Gospel of Luke together verse by verse. And in Luke 17, we're going to be focusing in on verses 11 through 19. And as you're turning there, if, if you're in one of our Bibles, it's, uh, by the way, page 971. If you don't own a Bible or you need a new Bible, feel free to take one of ours with you. This is our gift to you. Page 971, Luke 17, 11 through 19. While you're turning there, let me share a story with you. I don't know if this story is actually true or not, but it serves as a really good illustration Supposedly, years ago, if you were in an insane asylum as a patient, to, to get out of the insane asylum, you would have had to be evaluated in somehow, some way. And one of the potential tests that you had to take went kind of like this. So the doctor would take you down a long hall to a, a, a doorway, and in that doorway, you'd go through it, and it was a, a broom closet. And so the doctor would go into the broom closet with you, there would be in the closet a broom and a mop and a bucket and a sink. And the doctor would plug the, the drain to the sink and turn on the water and wait until the water started overflowing onto the floor. And then the doctor would simply hand the mop to the patient and say, give him instructions to clean up the mess. And then he would leave for about 15 minutes. And then when the doctor came back, if the patient was still mopping the floor while the faucet is running, the patient, of course, would need to stay for some more treatment. <laughs> but if the, the patient had the sense to look beyond the immediate problem to the deeper issue and turn off the faucet and unplug the drain, the doctor knew that that patient was ready to be put out into the real world again. Well, this exercise tested whether or not the patient could see beyond the immediate problem in front of them to deal with the deeper issue. Well, in today's passage, 90% of the people that Jesus encounters, they don't see past the surface issue, the surface problem to the deeper issue. And, and you know, I think that's fairly typical of us too. It's easy for us to get caught up in thinking that our main issue is just our circumstances. Uh, we, we think that our main problem is our marriage or our kids or our family or our finances or our, our job or that addiction that we have or, or maybe it's our health. And we think that those things are our main problem. But in reality, there's a deeper issue going on. There's always a deeper issue. And we're going to see that in today's passage. The, the context of this passage Notice in verse 11, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is the third time that Luke has mentioned this. Luke is emphasizing that Jesus has a trajectory 
that he's on a path to the cross where he's going to die for something he didn't deserve. He's going to die for our sins and pay the penalty that we deserved. And so that's the path that he's on right now. The passage, it's not a parable from Jesus, but it still reads a whole lot like a parable. And the, the punchline's at the very end, just like a parable. And so let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this. Father, I recognize that we, we can't fully understand your word. We can't fully grasp the significance of the word apart from your spirit working in our hearts. And so we plead with you one more time to move in us, that your spirit would fill us with knowledge of your glory, that we would see not what we want to see in this passage, but we would see what your inspired author intended, that we would see your glory in this passage, that we would be in awe of who you are, that it would move us to be more thankful, not just for your gifts, but for for you. I pray that it would cause us to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Pick up with me in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? There, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're passing between Samaria and Galilee. Or Galilee. And, and notice all the de- Luke does an amazing job of sharing details and all of them matter. Notice the details in this passage. First, uh, we don't know what village he's going to, but I think it's interesting that very, at the very beginning of the passage, he mentions that they're near Samaria. I think he's setting up the fact that there was a Samaritan involved in the story. Notice in verse 12 that the ten lepers, they stood at a distance. That's significant. Leprosy, it, it, it's a, a vile disease. It appears as kind of like a skin disease, but it's way worse than like psoriasis. Uh, It damages your nerves, and often people with advanced leprosy, they'll lose like fingers and toes because they no longer can feel pain. And so they'll break a finger or they'll burn uh, a hand, and they won't realize it until it's too late, and they'll, they'll lose limbs. Later on, the infection starts affecting your eyes and even your throat, so your vision and your voice weakens. Notice in the story, Luke doesn't refer to them as men and women with leprosy. He just calls them lepers. Their disease defined them. 
When people looked at them, that's the first thing that they saw. You were less than human. You were cast out. Many believed that, that the sickness was caused by some kind of sin. And so if you were a leper, you were the most cursed of all. Uh, in, in Leviticus chapter 13 in the Old Testament, you can read the Jewish laws about leprosy. Uh, they were considered to be unclean, which means they were unfit to be in the presence of God. If you were unclean, you were barred from the temple and from worship, from fellowship with other, other worshipers. Lepers were to be quarantined. They had to live outside the camp by themselves alone. It was a lonely thing to be a leper. They had to wear t- clothes that were torn. Uh, that was typically a sign of mourning but it also was a sign of warning to other people. In fact, if they got too close to other people, they would have to put their hand over their mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean, so that other people knew not to get too close and possibly catch the disease. I think if, if it was kind of dark and, and foggy and you were walking along and you saw a group of 10 lepers, it would be pretty scary. It would kind of Reminds you of like a a picture out of like the Walking Dead or something. And so this group of lepers who probably came together because they needed to care for one another. Nobody else would care for them. Nobody else else would even be around them. And so they come together to to take care of one another. And they keep their distance. And, And what they're doing, they're just following the law. They're obeying the law. But instead of crying out unclean, what do they cry out? They cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So evidently they recognized Jesus. They, they had heard about his power. Maybe they, maybe they even heard that he had healed a leper before. Back in chapter 5, you can, if you recall, he had healed a leper. It's significant that they call him Master. This is the only time in the New Testament that somebody other than one of his disciples addresses Jesus as Master. And so evidently they had heard of his power and they recognized his authority. And so they call him master and they cry out for mercy. And Jesus responds by saying, go and show yourself to the priest. Now why would he say that? Why doesn't he just say you're healed? Go. Why does he say go show yourself to the priest? It's because the priests, they acted back then as the health inspectors. Okay? If you had leprosy and somehow you were healed from it you had to go back to the priest and the priest would inspect you and he would then have you go through a whole series of rituals to become clean clean again before you could be back in the temple and be back part of the the Jewish society and so Jesus is essential but here's the thing you would only go to the priest if you were already healed Okay, so Jesus is essentially saying, look, you're healed, go. But notice the detail here. Uh, don't miss this. Luke says, and as they went, they were cleansed. The healing took place after they were obedient, after they showed that they had at least some form of faith. I want to point out that faith is not always required when Jesus heals someone. There's times when he raises somebody from the dead, okay? Surely they didn't have faith in that, that moment. We're not called to have faith in faith, okay? Faith is not some kind of force that we can manipulate God with, okay? And so 
If God doesn't heal you, it's not because you didn't have enough faith, necessarily. We can't manipulate God in that way. Um, But in this case, Luke is emphasizing the role of faith in their healing. Now, can you imagine being one of these lepers? I mean, you have been alone. You've been discarded from society, even feared. You've not been allowed to touch any other humans or no other human's been allowed to touch you. You can't go to the temple and worship with others. You're shamed everywhere you go. Life is miserable for you. And then in a blink of an eye, you're healed. Your skin clears up. I can imagine being one of those tens as you're walking along and you probably notice one of your companions, their, their skin starts to turn back to a normal color and then you look back down at your own arms and legs and you realize, I'm being healed. God is healing me. And maybe for the first time in a long time, you start to have hope and you start to realize that maybe, just maybe, I might get to experience a hug from a loved one again. Maybe, just maybe, I'll be able to go and share a meal with my family after worship. And your whole life, you realize, is about to change radically. And maybe even you don't even realize it, but your walk starts to turn into a a jog and then an all-out sprint as you you race towards the priest that's going to declare you clean. Except there's one that doesn't start sprinting towards the priest. He stops and he turns, not towards the priest, but back towards Jesus. And his actions speak volumes. He's essentially saying that, you know what? My family can wait. My, my being accepted by society, again, can wait. There's something bigger going on here. There's something more important going on here. And so he runs, not to the priest, he runs back to Jesus. And this time, he doesn't keep his distance, does he? He goes right to the feet of Jesus. And he doesn't just say with his mouth that you're master. He puts his whole body in a position of submission before Jesus. I love that. And with a loud voice, he's praising God. He recognizes that Jesus is not just merely a teacher, that Jesus is not just merely somebody that's a good role model. He is God and he is worthy of worship. And oh, the irony of who this man is. He's a Samaritan. A Samaritan. Uh, They considered themselves Jews, but the Jews rejected them. And there's a whole history behind that we don't have time to go into today. Jesus even calls him a foreigner, right? Which is, by the way, the same word that was posted outside the wall of the temple, denying anybody that's not a Jew from going in to worship and being in the presence of God. Jews typically had no dealings with Samaritans. Maybe, maybe Luke's original hear, hears when they first read this or, or saw this, maybe they thought of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I think they might. But this story is another example of how God's own people rejected him. And so Jesus responds with three rhetorical questions here that get to the point of the story. And it's not like Jesus is looking for new information here, right? Jesus already knows the answer. He asks, we're not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And it's through these questions that you get the point of the story, that Luke... 
he includes this story to once again emphasize that the Jews just don't get it. These religious people have once again missed the point. God, these are God's chosen people. These are the Israelites. These are the ones that had the covenants. These are the ones that were freed from Egypt, freed from slavery. They were given the law, given the, the promised land. They had the favor of God and they don't get it. And they're missing out on the greater blessing here. Notice, well, okay, what's the greater blessing? Look, look at the end of the passage. Notice the last verse in the passage. Jesus says to the foreigner, the Samaritan, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, the English translation is not actually really helpful here. The Greek word that's translated made you well here is the word sozo. It's a, it's a little Greek word that's used about uh, a little bit over 100 times in the New Testament. And it 90%, 9 out of 10 times when it's used in the New Testament, it's translated saved. If he had meant just that your faith has physically healed you, he could have used the same word that was used up in verse 15, uh, which is, I think it's pronounced aomai. But this little Greek so, word sozo, it, it packs so much more into its meaning. And so he's essentially saying, go, your faith has healed you. Uh, a couple examples. Um, well, one example. Luke 7, Jesus is eating at the house of a Pharisee, and there's this woman who's at the feet of Jesus, anointing his feet with oil, and Jesus says to this woman, your sins are forgiven, which riles up all the religious leaders, right? Uh, they're, they're like, who, who can forgive sins other than God himself? Who are you? to say that. And Jesus turns to this woman and says, your faith has sozoed you. And the English translation is saved there. Go in peace. And I, I believe that's the same thing that Jesus is saying to the Samaritan. He's saying, rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. So it's more than just a physical healing that he's talking about here. And so I want to camp out on what is the difference between this Samaritan and the other nine? What's the difference between them? Significant difference. First of all, if you're taking notes, the nine wanted the gifts of God more than they wanted God. They wanted the gifts of God more than they wanted God. For them, the healing, the physical healing was enough. That's all they really wanted. They didn't see their need for God. They just wanted what God could give them. They didn't see their need for Jesus. They just wanted what Jesus might give them. And then secondly, the nine believed that their main problem was just a skin problem, just a skin disease that we have. That's our main problem. It was their circumstances that they were worried about. They couldn't see beyond their physical illness. Listen to me here. They could not see beyond their physical illness or their physical circumstances to see that they had a much bigger illness. Like the guy who kept mopping the the floor with the water but failed to turn off the faucet. They saw their need for physical healing but they were blinded to their need for spiritual healing. And I believe this led them to, uh, there, what you see in this passage is really two different levels of gratitude. Okay? Uh, I'm sure that those other nine lepers when they were physically healed, had, had to have some kind of gratitude, right? They had to be thankful at least at some level. I mean, they were just healed. And they don't 
they don't seem to have any kind of like entitlement personality. When they come to Jesus, they're not like, hey, Jesus, why haven't you healed me yet? Okay, they don't come up to Jesus and say like, hey, I've seen you heal other people. We're following the law. We deserve to be healed. Come on, Jesus, what's going on? Okay, no, they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so I don't see any kind of entitlement with them. And so evidently, I think they had to have some kind of thankfulness, gratitude towards Jesus. In fact, maybe if they saw Jesus later on down the road, they they would thank him in some way. The, The great theologian Jonathan Edwards, he spoke of two different levels of gratitude. And this is fascinating, I think. I think it's very insightful. The first level of gratitude is just a natural gratitude, okay? This is the gratitude that we all have when somebody does something nice to us, when we're blessed by somebody. This is being thankful for somebody giving us a free meal or opening the door for us or maybe when we get a gift for Christmas. This type of gratitude, it's good for us to have. In fact, it's expected of us. Even unbelievers expect other people to have this kind of gratitude, right? If you don't have this kind of gratitude, you're spoiled or you're entitled. Or you're a millennial, I think is what they call them. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so there's an expectation there. Even dogs have this kind of gratitude towards their master who's kind to them. Okay? So there's a natural kind of gratitude that we all ought to have. But the source of this natural gratitude, if you think about it, if you really think about it, and this is what Edwards gets to, it's self-love. It's, it's a gratitude because you're thankful because somebody else has given you something that's going to make you happy and joyful in yourself. It's a gratitude that ultimately, though, does not come naturally when bad things happen to us. And in fact, it's non-existent then. It's an attitude also at its core, that doesn't truly please God. Uh, think about it, and this is the same principle. Just like Jesus calls us to a greater and a deeper love, he calls us to a greater and deeper gratitude. Uh, he, Jesus says, look, even the pagans will love other people that love them back. But what does Jesus call us to? Love your enemies. Um, likewise, he calls us to a deeper and greater faith. Uh, He makes a statement that even the demons believe, but they shudder. And so he calls us to a faith that that leads to a full surrender, a repentance of our sins, and a a fully believing what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross forgives us and and that we would treasure him because of that. And so there's there's also a requirement and a calling for us to have a deeper gratitude. Edward calls Edwards calls it a gracious gratitude. So there's a natural gratitude that everybody has, but then there's this gracious gratitude. What's that? Gracious gratitude flows from a heart that's not so much infatuated with yourself, but it's infatuated with a love for God, and it bubbles up out of that. Gracious gratitude gives thanks not simply for blessings received, but for who God is, for his character, for his goodness, for his love, his power, his excellencies regardless of any kind of blessings that are received. And so it's a steady gratitude. It doesn't look at just outside circumstances. This type of gratitude is it's possible only through the Holy Spirit working in your heart and giving you a new heart that treasures Christ 
I think this gracious gratitude is, is what we're seeing here in the Samaritan that comes back to worship Jesus. He longs for more than just physical healing. He wants Jesus. You see, what you praise and how you praise and when you praise, it reveals a whole lot about what you believe about your problems and what you believe about God. And so, in this story, we need to be careful. Often we read Scripture and we like to put ourselves as the hero of the story, right? Uh, We read David and Goliath and we like to look at ourselves as David conquering our giants. Uh, And we read this passage and maybe you're sitting there today and say, yeah, I'm a lot like that Samaritan. I'm here, aren't I? To worship Jesus. But I I don't think that's Luke's goal in this story. It's not just to give you a pat on the back and and send you out the door. I think Luke is sharing this story for us to evaluate ourselves, to really ask the question, okay, where am I truly? Just like Jesus asked, okay, where are those other nine? I don't think that was just a geographical question. I think it was a spiritual question. Where are you today spiritually? Are you truly thankful? If not, why not? What's going on? And if you are thankful, what's motivating your gratitude? Are you just thankful for the gifts of God? Or does your gratitude bubble up because you treasure, you treasure knowing the excellencies of God, that you long for God himself? If you're in a season right now where you're, you're struggling to find gratitude towards God, let, let me encourage you to cultivate a gracious, uh, a gracious gratitude. Here's some, just some practical wisdom and advice. And so how do you cultivate gracious gratitude? First of all, you need to ask the question, am I truly a believer? Because again, apart from the Holy Spirit, I don't think this kind of gratitude comes to us. You, your heart needs to be transformed and, and, and made new by the Holy Spirit so that you treasure more than just the gifts of God, but you treasure God himself. And you know what? That's what makes heaven uh, a hope for us. I mean, if, if you only ever are looking for the gifts of God, heaven is probably kind of boring to you. Um, what makes heaven exciting to believers is that we get to spend eternity with God in his presence And so you need to ask yourself, have I truly trusted in Jesus Christ as my Savior and surrendered to Him as Lord? Do I believe that He died on the cross for my sins? Have I asked for forgiveness and recognized that I need to live for Him? And I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to do everything I can to war against sin and live for Him. Has the Holy Spirit changed your heart so you treasure Christ above everything else in this world? So question one is, am I truly a believer? And then secondly, if you are a believer, I would encourage you to to recognize more and more your brokenness. Come to grips with your own sinfulness. Your gratitude will be limited by your pride. If you think you're always right, if you minimize your sinfulness, you will have little reason to be thankful towards God. But if you recognize that you're broken and you're willing to admit that, that you don't come in here and just pretend like everything's perfect, but you're willing to admit that, you know what, I'm hurting, 
and I'm, I'm messed up. And it's not just I'm hurting from outside, I'm hurting from within because I know I keep sabotaging myself. You recognize your own sin. As God reveals his grace to you, you're going to be so much thankful, so much more thankful. And to do that, you really need to press into your relationship with Jesus. That's where it starts. You've got to become a self-feeder. You've got to come to the point where you are looking to Christ, not just on Sundays when everybody else is here and watching you, but you're spending daily time in God's word and praying and seeking him out and spending time in your relationship with him, working. It's a relationship. It's not a religion. You've got to work at it. It develops, so your, your relationship, it develops, and your gratitude, it develops out of consistency with Christ. Uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, earlier this week, uh, I had a, a member just randomly text me. Um, they, he was excited about uh, a book that he was reading that I had recommended uh, a few months ago on heaven. And so he's just been thinking about heaven a lot and it's exciting him. And he was excited to let me know that he's been consistent. He made sure that I, he didn't want to come across as bragging, but he was just excited about, uh, he's been consistent really for the first time in a long time in reading the Bible on a daily basis. And it just made my day to hear, to hear that story and to hear somebody that, that and, I, and I know that this person has not had the easiest month They've been going through a lot, but in the midst of that, they were able to find peace and even encouragement and gratitude. Why? Because they've been pressing into their relationship with the Lord. It makes a huge difference in your life. And so develop a consistent habit of reading your Bible and praying. Ask somebody to keep you accountable to that. Develop a one-to-one relationship where you're reading through the Bible together. And as you press into your relationship with God, your love for him is going to grow and your, your gratitude will grow too. And then next, when good things happen, when you experience the gifts of God, allow it to remind you of the giver. Okay, Don't just be satisfied with thinking about how much that's going to make you happy here in this lifetime. But allow the gifts of God to redirect your heart and recalibrate your heart back to being in awe of who God is and His glory. People who are filled with this kind of gracious and and radical gratitude are just a joy to be around. I mean, these are the people that I want to surround myself with. Uh, C.S. Lewis called them the the people that have the, the good infection. I, I love that term, the good infection. The, the, it's just a person who has this supernatural ability to be, and it's not fake, it's not disingenuine. It's no matter what's going on in their life, they're, they're truly thankful because they have this relationship with God and that draws other people to God. They recognize that what they've been healed from is infinitely worse than leprosy. There's a spiritual disease that all of us have called sin. And Jesus is the only answer. And they recognize that. And so they come to the point where they enjoy not just the gifts of God, but God himself. And they say, thank you, Jesus. In a minute, we're going to sing that song. 
We're going to sing the mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness knows no end. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die the death that we deserve. For allowing him to absorb your wrath that we deserve. Thank you. I pray that as we leave here today, our hearts would be so filled, no matter what's going on in our lives, that our hearts would be so filled with gratitude that it would cause us to bow down at your feet and worship you with everything we've got. You are worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. And so every single week we celebrate communion because we recognize we need to be reminded of the grace that has been poured out for us on the cross. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in Christ, we'd encourage you to celebrate with us. If you're not a believer, we'd encourage you to to use this time just to get alone with God. It's time for all of us to spend confessing. Maybe there's times in your life where you recognize that you haven't been grateful. Maybe you've been grateful for the gifts of God, but not for God himself. So spend this time to just confess your sins and then I would encourage you to stand with us after everybody's finished taking communion. Stand with us and let's worship together. This is also a time for us to generously give back. This is a way that we say thank thank you, Jesus, by giving back to his mission. If you're a visitor, don't feel obligated to give. There's three stations, two up here, one in the back. And again, after everybody's done, we're going to stand, we're going to worship together. I'm going to be in the back. If you need prayer, come back. I would love to pray with you. If you've got questions today about salvation or baptism or church membership or anything else, don't leave today until those questions are answered. We'll stick around however long is needed. Again, I want to thank you for being here. Most of all, let's all, with one voice, thank Jesus for what he's done for us. You come as, as God is calling you to respond.